you know, I met a number of people who are my age, had a very similar background and, you know, they already had two, three properties. And I said, mm -hmm. if they can do it, there's, there's no reason I can't. So, you know, what was, I was constantly waiting. I thought I needed to know more information before I was ready to approach an agent and ask to look at properties and this and that. But sure enough, one coffee at Panera Bread with John Bombacci and, and, you know, I was off full swing. And within a few months, I had something, uh, had an offer accepted. So you found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Muth. And we are here this week with attorney broker from Next Home Titletown Real Estate and Urban Village Legal, Rory Gill. Hey, Jason. Hello. Hey. And we have a special guest on this episode. Uh, we got Matt Davis here. And Matt has an amazing story for someone just getting started in his real estate career. And we can't wait to get going and learning more about some of the work that he's been doing with his personal investments. Uh, Matt, how are you? Great. Thanks, Jason, for having me on. I'm looking well, forward to this. Our pleasure. We were, you know, we should say kind of how we came to inviting you onto the podcast. Uh, I was on a podcast that you've also appeared on, which was Kyle Curtin's podcast. And we invited him on the podcast. He's going to come on in a future episode. But when I asked him who past guests he's had that we should have, you're the first name that came up. So got some big shoes to fill right there. You've built up a little bit. Yeah, we um, had a great conversation that day and uh, uh, it, was, it was a good time. So Yeah, I, I listened to a lot of it and it is a great story. I can't wait to get into that story for what we have here on the Real Estate Law Podcast. So Matt, tell us a little bit about where you're from, what your background is, you know, how you kind of got into real estate investing from you know, what you were learning in school because uh, you're a recent college graduate as well, as well, but you are now a seasoned pro in investing in real estate. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I can get my, my background story. I grew up in Massachusetts and ended up going to college for mechanical engineering out at Purdue University, which is in Indiana, for those of you who don't know it. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I loved it out there, had a wonderful time. Learned a lot about engineering, about life, about you know being analytical and uh, working hard. And while I was out there, I kind of developed this passion on the side of real estate and I became really interested in it. And uh, I was ambitious, I wanted to do well. So, you know, I, I eventually got hooked on it from a few books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad being one of them. Uh, I got hooked on podcasts, started listening to them on my walk to class, my walk back. Mm -hmm. And it really became, you know, a passion aside uh, and a side hustle of mine to try to, you know, develop these skills that when I graduated, I started making money. My life kind of started as an adult, I was ready to hit the ground running and you know, start a business with some investing. So, um, so that's exactly what happened. I graduated, I got settled over the course of a few months and I was looking at properties and, and searching Zillow and doing stuff on my own. And then I realized, Hey, you know, I got to get out there. I got to start meeting people. So one day I started going to some meetups and I ended up at one, a meetup up in Lowell, which is where I met uh, a lot of local investors. And it was kind of my first time really getting you know, meeting other people who had the same interests and passions that I did. Uh, a lot of them were in a very similar place. A lot of them were 10 steps ahead of me and everywhere in between. So 
Let me just jump in there also with the, the meetup. We should say it was the Pints and Properties, right? That you went yes. to in Lowell. Yeah. And we, I've not been to that one yet, but I've, I've spoken with Jonathan who runs it. Yeah, John um, Bombachi. Yep, super nice guy. Can't wait to get to one of those meetups at some point in the future. But what gave you the courage to go? I mean, I, I think that that's actually pretty remarkable when you're, you're at a, you graduated college, what, within the past five years or so? Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone coming out of school, it's been a long time since I've been in college, but, you know, I know that those first couple of years after school, you're, you're looking to find your way, right? You find your people, find your niche, both in work and life, personal, social. Did you show up at that meetup on your own? Yeah, I, sh- I showed up on my own. So basically in, in those few months when I got back and I was getting settled, getting myself my own apartment, you know, I found a job, you know, rebuilding a network around here because a lot of my friends were still out in the Midwest and and then I, you know, I had this interest in real estate and I was always learning, but I wasn't really making any, you know, real progress. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing new was happening other than I, you know, every day I listened to another podcast or something. And so mm-hmm. you know, I was building up this background of knowledge, but I wasn't putting it to work. And pretty much immediately after going to that first meetup, I started seeing, you know, progress. You know, I was actually looking at properties. I was going to see properties. I was you know, working alongside an agent or multiple agents talking about deals. And I learned more in those three months following going to that meetup than I did in the, you know, three years of mm-hmm. reading books that led up to it. It's crazy. It's like, I've speak to a lot of people at my university, like I've done alumni things throughout the years, like mentoring programs and whatnot. And I always talk about networking because they never really taught us that in school. And again, this is a couple of decades ago that I graduated back in the nineties and maybe things are a little bit different right now, but you know, networking is super valuable. I know Rory and I have been, well, we host a meetup also. You'll have to come to it um, you know, once the mask mandate comes off in Boston because it's back yeah. up here. But, uh, but ours is called Network to Grow Your Net Worth. And uh, it's a cool little event. Um, you know, people uh, at a bar, very similar to Pines and Properties, uh, not overwhelming conversations flow throughout the night, you know, probably similar to what, you just, what you're going to. But you know, it makes it real right? Like you're at the meetup and you just said it like now, next thing you know, you're looking at properties, you're talking to people, you're having real conversations with people in the, in the space. It takes it away from the theoretical. Yeah. And it was, you know, I met a number of people who are my age, had a very similar background and, you know, they already had two, three properties. And I said, mm-hmm. if they can do it, there's, mm-hmm. there's no reason I can't. So you know, what was, I was constantly waiting. I thought I needed to know more information before I was ready to approach an agent and ask to look at properties and this and that. But sure enough, one coffee at Panera Bread with John Bombacci and, and you know, I was off full swing. And within a few months, I had something, uh, had an offer accepted. So, Yeah, I, I listened to the story about how you brought a, a presentation to that and then get into that about your, uh, the deal that you have people in your, uh, in your network that have invested in and how you did that. But, you know, people appreciate being buttoned up like that. I mean, if, if he's not used to people showing up with a presentation, like you stood out, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rory and I have been to a number of real estate meetups before the pandemic and then since pandemic. And I mean, Rory, what do you think about the value of networking at events like that? I think you see when you go to the events, it makes it real, but you also can see like the wide range of experiences that are out there. You know, in a good mix event, you'll see a couple of people who might actually be a couple of steps behind you or, and are just, you know, 
gaining the knowledge to even get started. You might find people who are exactly in the same situation as you, a couple of people who are a couple steps ahead of you, and then a couple of people that you might want, you know, to aspire to for their, you know, for all the work that they've done. Um, and it's a good, healthy mix and it makes it real. It doesn't sugarcoat the the process or try to, you know, to sell the the real estate lifestyle, but it it really makes it real and allows you to translate kind of all that noise that's great, but you can take a couple steps forward and connect with who you have to connect with. One thing I found at real estate meetups is that the people that show up are the ones who actually want to network. Like they're not going to show up and then not give you time, right? Exactly. Like the Everyone's that- so friendly. You know, you're not usually around people that are, you know, that ready to just engage and start telling you about their life. But well, I've also found everyone everyone likes to talk about themselves and talk about what they're up to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the ones that don't show up to the meetups are the ones that don't give the calls back, right? You know, maybe they're too busy or it's just not their thing, but the people that do show, they, they absolutely want to engage. Like we want to engage whenever we show up at events like that. And I think it does lead to great conversations and relationships and building networks and deals. I mean, we've done deals with people that we've met at real estate networking events. Rory's hired agents that he's met at real estate networking events. You have done deals with them or what have you done at that? Like, what was the outcome of that event? You talked to having uh, coffee with John. Yeah. So what happened was I had this coffee with, with John. And as you mentioned, you know, I brought a presentation to this coffee meetup and basically, you know, I was telling him about who I was, what I was looking for, explained to him the, the burst strategy as if he didn't already know what it was. And, you know, I give him my personal financial so he could he's an agent. He wants to make sure like, you know, see what I was able to do easily. And, and I told him about different people in my network who I might be able to raise money from. And so he got a feel from that, that I was serious and that I was ready to go. And, and that's why, you know, eventually he brought me a really good off market deal. Um, Mm -hmm. something that he came across from his network. It filtered down to me. He knew that, you know, it, it was pretty much exactly the kind of thing I was looking for. And so, you know, we, we just hit the ground running, put in the offer. It took forever to get accepted. It was kind of a really slow, drawn out closing process because it uh, was, you know, off market. It was something we purchased from, from the city of Lowell. It was, you know, a little bit unconventional, but you know, it ended up being a 15 month closing process because, you know, we got the offer accepted and then there was just a whole bunch of, you know, attorneys not responding to other attorneys and waiting on things to go all the way up the bureaucracy of the government and get approved by HUD and DC and this and that. But eventually, you know, we got to the closing table and uh, leading up to that, I, you know, when I when I made this offer, I didn't have enough money to to pay the down payment. I knew I was going to need twenty percent. They ended up changing it halfway through the twenty five as soon as COVID hit uh, mm-hmm. for the down payment. I needed to raise uh, you know almost one hundred and forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you know I think I was really well positioned to do that because I had a lot of people in my network who had been listening to me for four years talk about real estate, and mm-hmm. I had been priming them the whole way. I mean. I've been saying, you know, hey, I'm looking at real estate. This is why I'm interested in it. And these are, you know, family, friends, loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were happy to listen to like, you know, what I was trying to do. And I was really just going to them at first for, for support. And I said, hey, yeah, maybe someday we would partner on something. This is what it would look like. And this was all before I even put in, you know, an offer. So that when I, was, when I had something that was a good deal, I brought it to, to these people and said, hey, you know, I found this deal. Great, great numbers. Everything works. Do you want to partner on it? Do you want to go in together? I'll run the whole show. I'll do all the work. Um, I'll let you be as involved or not involved as you want to be. And, and sure enough, I was able to come up with the, you know, that money compared with some of my own savings and we were able to take it down. 
So it's been going smooth That's ever awesome. from there. So four, you primed them for four years. That is yeah. a long, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is a long story of telling real estate tales until finally it pays off. But yeah, um, I just, well, I was telling them about, you know, at first I was just always talking about how I wanted to do real estate. And then, you know, right when I got, got serious about it and I started going to meetings, right, meetups, right around the same time, I was also asking these family members, hey, let's sit down for a coffee, you know, at a, at a local, you know, Panera Bread or whatever, and I'm going like, to teach you how this business works. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants to, you know, be an investor. So people listen to that. Everyone's got money to invest these days. Just the deals are hard to find. Very true. And then, you know, when people invest in you, they're investing in you. I mean, they're investing in the deal, but I don't think you would have been able to raise that money if, if it wasn't the relationship that you'd built with them. Yeah. And if they didn't understand, I mean, they saw it in me as an, an obsession, basically. Sounds because, that way. Because it's what I was always talking about. So, so they knew that I wasn't, you know, this wasn't some, oh, that's cool. I'm going to go do that. And, and then, you know, change my mind and go looking at Bitcoin the next week. Um, right. They knew that I, you know, I was focused on this. They saw that. Right. Okay. So it wasn't the flavor of the month and you just been talking about it, built up a lot of knowledge and, and then finally went in there for, for the, the pitch. Like it's a long, long, what's the strategy, Rory? Like jab, 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 right hook. You heard about Uh, that? Jab, 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 right hook. Yes. That you you prime people over a long period of time so that when the time comes for you to ask for something, you can do it. And they already know, like, and trust you. Whenever I meet someone that I meet at a meetup for a coffee or whatever, you know, I always jump into conversations like, you know, what are you good at? You know, what do I like? What am I good at? Hey, maybe like, this is the kind of thing that who knows, maybe we could partner on someday. And yeah, that's a really important conversation to have because you start to, to notice people who have complementary skill sets. And you can build that kind of relationship that, you know, someday when a good deal comes, everyone wants to be a part of it. So yeah. I, you know, I still hear from people that we met at meetups back before the pandemic. You know, I just heard from somebody recently about, hey, do you want to partner in this specific deal? And we're like, Rory and I, we're a little overcommitted right now. Like we just closed on something last week. And I mentioned to you before we started recording that we do a couple of Airbnbs ourselves. So we manage short-term rentals kind of as our side thing. So we're doing another one. And then I think I might have another one coming online shortly thereafter. So, you know, we're we're scaling, but not quite at the level or the speed in which someone like you or other people want to, but it, it's what works for us in our lives. So tell us about the deal. And, and Rory, a 15-month close period and attorneys not talking to each other, would you like to comment for the profession? When I hear the story there, and I'm going to hear a little bit more, I'm sure now, but we have a city involved, we have federal government um, entities involved. I'm not surprised at kind of the 15-month turnaround time. It's been a while since I've seen a you know, transaction drag on that long, but it does happen. And if you have multiple entities involved, yeah, it's not a priority for any, any one place or any one place can, can hold things up. So what's the deal that, that we're all referencing? It's a six unit, is that right? That the city of Lowell sold to you? Yeah. So I'll go into some of the, some of the details about it, the technical stuff. So um, the city of Lowell was, was selling this property. It was publicly listed on their website. Most people didn't know it was there. It was through the housing authority. You know, the people who did know about it weren't telling everybody because they were good deals. And, you know, they wanted to tell the people that were close to them in their network and, and use it as a, you know, relationship building thing. So, you know, I found out about it through word of mouth and directly from John Bombacci, actually, and put in an offer. It was a very unique process. It was more of a, you had to put in a proposal. I had to talk about what I was planning on doing with it. They really cared about the fact that I was going to keep it as affordable housing and allow the people that live there to stay. They had 
they had a different objective than you would normally see from a you know private sale. Mm-hmm. Um, reason being, they cared more about the people. I mean, they're you know it's a social program. They care more about the people than they did about the money, and so they weren't asking top dollar. They weren't trying to you know get the the highest bid. They cared. They were actually assigning points based off this point system for who would who would get the bid and. You know, only a portion of that, a smaller portion of that, was um, actually the, the price. So yeah, so we we uh, we got the offer accepted, long drawn out closing with lots of approvals, uh, and then we hit the closing, the closing, and and we had six. There's six units. They're all three and four bedrooms. So there's a lot of bedrooms in the in the building. Um, had you know pretty good uh, gross potential rents. Um, the the city switched all the people that were public housing into Section Eight. So reevaluated all the rents, brought them up to fair market rent, which was in Lowell is pretty close to, you know, private sale market rent. You know, from that point, we, you know, leased up a couple of the other units. It took a little while, it was a little challenging actually, but we did a lot of um, just basic cosmetic rehab, you know, painting the stairwells and and cleaning was, was the biggest thing. And, you know, everything was intact and sturdy, but, you know, they just, they just did the minimum to keep it safe. They didn't really, you know, try to make it look pretty or try to get mm-hmm. the best rent for it. So there was a lot of room for improvement there. And we got it operating over the course of a few months. Uh, me and my partners did a lot of legwork myself. I spent some late nights there painting on my own. Mm-hmm. Learned a couple lessons about in the future, I'm going to hire out the painting. For now, it was a good, a good learning experience. And, and yeah, it's, it's been a, a home run, basically. And you know, it's all because I put myself in the position to to be offered you know a good opportunity because i was going to these meetups because i was networking with people um because i had all my my ducks in a row you know the the lucky deal came to me so yeah yeah. so the city website maybe it's a secret now but it's going to get out there that's a rich source for for property owned by municipalities yeah you know if i thought it was going to keep happening i wouldn't have just said that i think it was a one-time thing but always you know keep your network open and always be looking and, and you never know when you'll find out. It was listed on the same procurement opportunity page where they put out bids for who's going to, you know, repair roofs for the housing authority. And all of a sudden one showed up and it wasn't a roof repair or a kitchen remodel. It was, you know, private sale of 13 buildings and there, and there you go. So did you negotiate the price? Like, did you offer a price below what they were asking? And then they had, I know that you mentioned that there were other criteria beyond just the price, but like, you know, how, who was the approver? Like, was there a board of directors or selectmen or something that had to approve it? Yeah. So there was an approval process. It was basically a point-based system. Someone won based off the point-based system. And then they had a, you know, a, a regularly scheduled meeting with the housing authority they do that thing uh, they do something every month and Mm -hmm. they you know they all you know just gave the official approval and then we were notified did you say you're from lowell or you're from the area i'm from westford which is close to Lowell. yeah so that's basically the the whole process and how it worked and you know then we've been operating it we brought it all up got some real financials behind us because there was pretty much no financials when we bought it since it was publicly funded and we're in the process of a refinance right now and expecting that to close in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Rory, what were you going to say? No, I was going to ask, you talked about a point-based system. What are some of the things that um, made your application stand out and get awarded the most points by, in a, by the housing authority? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so one of them was price, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge portion of it. Uh, and so they, were, they started the bids at 660000 
I knew that there weren't a lot of people in the prep meeting and the, you know, I knew there weren't a lot of people that knew about it. So I offered 665,000 mm-hmm. and, and that, that was enough. And then they were also, you know, they assigned a lot of points to if you're willing to sign a, a use restriction deed rider that said that you'd allow the existing residents to remain there as long as they maintained a Section 8 voucher and didn't violate the lease. So we were willing to sign that. It was basically just like a five-year lease. So it wasn't a problem for us. The only other person who bid on it didn't want to do that. And that's why, you know, that made the difference of who it came to the property. They also looked at experience. I didn't have any experience. This was my first deal, but mm-hmm. I was buying it under an LLC. I have a really good network. And so when in the experience section, I said, this is my team. This is John Bavacci. This is all the stuff he's done. This is, you know, my uncle's a CPA. I said, this is my uncle. He's my, my CPA on my team. Here's his bio. Uh, here's my other uncle who's a, you know, a, a hard money lender and has some other real estate experience. Here's his bio. And so I put these people in there who, you know, really are my mentors and my advisors. And even though they didn't own a piece of the company, they were my team. And mm-hmm. so, and so then, you know, I had the experience. And so I was able to, exp- and I, I used that same strategy actually when talking to banks. I said, yeah, I haven't bought a property before, but my team has all the skill sets that are needed. Here mm-hmm. they are. That's one of the most direct ways I've ever heard of somebody, you know, quite literally leveraging their network and, and using that as a tool. Yeah. I mean, not to be cliche, but what do they say? Like the only balls you don't hit are the ones you don't swing at. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you don't ask, the answer is literally always going to be no. But yeah. if you ask, the answer could be yes. Even if it's yes 10% of the time, mm-hmm. you know, that can make a big difference. I, I don't know if you... Was this the only property that you kind of put an offering on or were like, we out there pounding the pavement doing, you know, 15 offers and getting nothing? Yeah. So I had put in offers on a couple other properties, but you know, none of them, it's hard to find properties that the numbers work where, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get financing, no problem. Um, Cause you know, the banks have their own underwriting criteria and even meeting those is, can be tough. And so, yeah, I did. I looked at a bunch of properties, a few properties in person, um, but I was analyzing properties on the MLS, you know, day in and day out. And I had, I was pulling very basic financial numbers, just kind of ranking them. And my goal there was to just get an idea of what's normal so that if something was a good deal, it would stand out. Mm-hmm. So if you look at bad deals all day long, you're more ready to recognize the good one. And so I still use that strategy. I'm, I'm hunting for a next deal right now. And I'm, you know, I'm underwriting properties that I know right away aren't going to work just because I want to get that experience and look at more of them and be able to compare what's normal and what, what works. Yeah. That's great practice. I mean, you need it. You, it's, it's just like working out or practicing before a big game. I mean, you need to take those reps and, and get the experience under your belt. So you know how to identify a good one and then jump at it. Yeah. I bet absolutely. you were analyzing deals for years, like along with your four years of listening to podcasts and reading books and telling people all about real estate, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> So Rory uh, had a couple questions about like the legal process along the way and maybe some things that you might've learned. All the, the occupants are section eight um, tenants. Is that right? They were when we purchased it, but since we've leased some of the empty units to, you know, regular market residents. I mean, do you have any advice or experiences with working with the housing authority and section eight vouchers that other new landlords should know? Yeah. I mean, I have all good things to say about the Lowell Housing Authority in particular. It's very apparent that they care about their people. 
And it's also very apparent that, you know, they want to be fair. They understand, I mean, directly out of the words of one of my contacts, out of the words of his mouth, he said, you know, we understand you're running a business and you need to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were negotiating, you know, what the rent would be for the section eight. And so they understand and they want to, you know, mediate a good relationship between the the landlord and the, and the tenant. So communicate with them. They have great contacts. There's people whose job it is. And most people who work there actually care about what they're doing. That's good advice and good to hear. And then, so it sounds like you've actually switched over and turned over a few units to new tenants since you've um, been in. How did you go about choosing your tenants or screening your tenants? Yeah. So the tenant screening process uh, that we use, we actually went, uh, I went to a, a local, yeah, actually John Bumbachi has a management company and he has a property manager that works for him. Her name's Carla. She does a fantastic job. And uh, we hired her to do the leasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still had to do the approval though. So she, she did, you know, I, I work a full-time job. I didn't have time to, you know, go and doing showings and all that, but she brought me any half decent applications and, and we looked at them. But, you know, the biggest takeaways that I would recommend are, you know, run your, your credit checks and your credit reports. That's important. Um, you can do income verification that way too, which, which can, you know, at least give you an idea if people, people are telling the truth or not on their applications. Um, I didn't actually call references or past landlords. I probably should have. But the couple of, you know, people who stood out that I ended up uh, approving their applications, you know, I felt good about going in. So I, I didn't feel the need to do that. And the only other thing is don't rely on uh, like criminal background checks to see if someone has, you know, a, a good background or if there's problems. In my opinion, you're much better off just Googling their name and, and using hmm. quotes and Googling their name and the city and their name and the address. I had someone who came up, you know, perfectly clean background. And, and then there was some articles that weren't so great in the, uh, you know, in the newspaper and, no other, you know, imperfections and in, in financial stuff that just made it not work out. But you can get a good idea from from lots of sources. But Google is your friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, social media, too. Um, you can learn so much from what people are, you know, voluntarily putting out online. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a larger project. So you didn't finance this, uh, you know, the traditional way with a residential lender. How was your experience, um, especially in your first deal, going to a commercial lender? So the experience was pretty positive. I was initially introduced um, by someone who had done deals with this particular lender. And if you put together, what I did is I put together a really clean PDF package that you know, had all the information on the property, all the stuff that they're going to ask you. Um, I had it all ready to go. And so when I was reaching, lenders, reaching out to lenders, I just sent them this package and it answered all their questions. It basically was the loan application. I still had to do the loan application. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the information they already had before they even sent me the application. It had personal financial information. It had all the details on the property, rent rolls, P&Ls. And so that, I think, really demonstrated that I understood the process. I was more experienced than, you know, my resume would suggest because I had, you know, this breadth of knowledge from, from my you know, own education. A lot of PowerPoint skills. I, I, yeah. I might have to employ you for that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask, since you seem to be, you know, very well organized um, with the process, um, is how did you structure the deal with um, the your co-investors? Um, you know, it sounds like you have an LLC, but, you know, how did you go about putting together um, the structure that allowed you to bring in other partners? Yeah, so I had initially reached out to an attorney and said, hey, can you write an operating agreement? 
And he said yes and asked a bunch of questions, but I knew in my head how I wanted to structure it. And so I ended up just getting a template and diving in and playing lawyer. But I felt comfortable doing that because my, um, you know, my partners were family. And I, I didn't know, I, I wasn't worried about protecting myself legally as much as I was concerned about, you know, having a clear explanation of how things will work, how the money will flow. And um, the way we structured it was uh, basically I, I offered them a preferred return. I offered them basically a percentage of ownership based off of the total funds needed to close uh, and how much they contributed. So for example, if it's a million dollar property, if they pitched in hundred thousand, they own 10%. And it was a little unique because I ended up being able to, you know, only put in less than half the, the cash and walk away with 85% of the equity. But, you know, it worked because preferred return and the way it was all being calculated made it so that the numbers look great for everybody. You know, do I know, you know, is it perfectly compliant with everything legally? I don't know, because I never had a lawyer review it. But, you know, it got the the good deal exception and the family exception to to Mm -hmm. really having to, you know, work out all those details. Oh, I mean... Congrats. I mean, that's the, you know, perhaps there's some legalese things that need to be taken care of um, in there, but primary purpose, I think, for the LLC operating agreement is to make sure that everybody's on the same page. If you accomplish that, you accomplish the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. When did this deal close? This closed in January of this year. Okay. So it's been eight, nine months at this point. Like what, how do your investors feel about what they've seen in that period of time since closing? They feel great. Other than the fact that I'm constantly talking to them about it. <laughs> I don't know how hands-on they wanted to be, but, um, you know, Matt, I you might they, not get invited feel... to Thanksgiving. Like if you just keep <laughs> pounding them on it. It's true. It's true. Uh, it's okay. They know, they know, uh, about my passion, but, um, yeah, so it, 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 you know, it works out for all of us and, and they all feel great about it and the numbers are working and the refinance is going to give them, you know, a third of their initial investment back, yeah. you know, less than a year in. So, you know, everyone's happy. And they're going to maintain their ownership stakes along with the refinance? Yeah. The way we structured yeah. it, they, they maintain their percentage ownership forever. And, and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted them to be a part of the deal, you know, for as long as we own it because I wanted them to get hooked on, this is a good deal. I wanted them to get hooked on the cash flow, get hooked on, you know, the, the, pe- the checks in the mail because they're going to be all that more enticed to, you know, put some more money together for the next one when it comes along. So it sounds like you will get invited to future holidays. Like assuming (laughs) that this is going very well. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That's awesome. That's, that's such an interesting story. Um, You know, I think that there's a lot of this opportunity out there for people that want to put in the legwork and and want to find the investors like you have. I mean, it does help having a supportive and good relationship, especially if they're family members. But, you know, Rory certainly has worked with plenty of families along the way that are bitter rivals. And, you know, it kind of doesn't end well, like if it's not done properly up front, or they stumble their way into real estate that they inherit, and it just gets messy. So anyway, I, I want to start to head toward our final wrap up. Uh, and then after that, we'll, uh, you know, give all your information for people that want to reach out to you and we'll put everything in the show, na- show notes as well. But we do like to ask the same questions of everybody who's been on the podcast. And uh, I will, you know, I, I mentioned these questions earlier to you today. So if you, if you still need some time to think, I'll certainly talk and talk and talk. But uh, our first question is, if you had to speak on one subject for 30 minutes, obviously we know it's going to be real estate because you've talked about it for four years, right? <laughs> Not real estate. 
if you had to speak on one subject for 30 minutes with zero preparation, like get up on stage and just start talking about something that, you know, you just happen to know a lot about, like, what would that be? Yeah, I think what it would definitely be would be is, um, you know, fitness, going to the gym, health, caring for your body, caring for your, caring for yourself, mm-hmm. because that's, what's going to give you the energy to be successful and, and have progress in your life. And so I think, you know, that's, that's one of the most important things in my life. Going to the gym on a regular basis gives me so much more energy. After a workout, I, I accomplish more in my real estate stuff than, you know, any other time. And, and so it would, it would probably be related to that. That's an excellent answer. Taking care of yourself is very important. Do you listen to real estate podcasts while you're working out or do you just do like high intensity classes where you can't have headphones on? So I, um, I work out on my own and I just have a gym membership. I lift weights. That's typically what I do. Um, I usually listen to music. I actually, for the, it's funny you ask that because for the first time ever, I said, I'm going to try doing a podcast while working out. Uh, and I always I like thought that the music was helping motivate me, but I think I had a better workout listening to a podcast than <laughs> no way. in a while. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Our podcast time is like on long drives. Like, you know, when you're like on a highway and you don't really have to think about where you're going, you can just kind of focus on the conversation. I've tried some podcasts while working out, but yeah, music, music's what I listen to. But hey, you know, you might find that, you know, your workout time is actually now your learning time as well. Yeah. Multitasking is good if you can pull it off. Yeah. So uh, our second question is, tell us something that happened early on in your life or your career or in school uh, that impacted the way that you're working today. Yeah, I think um, a lot of it was recognizing early on in, you know, basically when I was in high school, uh, my strengths and the fact that I was good with numbers and good with analytics and, you know, math and science was always my strong suit. It's what led me into engineering school and, and, and being able to recognize those strengths and run with them. I think, you know, impacted where I'm going. Right. That's excellent. Number three, what are you watching, reading, or listening to these days? It could be anything. It could be something ridiculous. It could be a podcast. It could be classical music. It could be, you name it. Yeah. So for the most part, it's podcasts. Um, When I listen to music, it's just to keep me, you know, the rhythm and Mm -hmm. stuff. But what I really enjoy is real estate podcasts. And it's, it's where I spend you know, most of my time listening, I'm not a huge TV person. Every once in a while, if there's something on in the background, kind of like a side thing that I enjoy doing is cooking and making food. It's kind of related to health and fitness stuff, you know, cooking good food, healthy food, eating well. Um, and so sometimes I'll throw on a Netflix, you know, cooking related show or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, more as background than anything. But um, what's for dinner tonight? I'm going out. Make- <laughs> going out. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Uh, and what real estate podcast do you listen to? I mean, there might be ones that other people already listen to that listen to this one, but it's always worth mentioning, you know, what's on your playlist right now. Yeah. One of my favorites is uh, Wheelbarrow Profits, Jake and Gino, Barbaro, multifamily guys. They have, you know, different versions of their podcast that they all put out together. Some they talk about personal finance, some commercial real estate. Sometimes it's, you know, they have different edition family stuff. But I think their real estate content is is underrated and, and should be more popular than it is. And uh, the other one I actually kind of like, it's called the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Learn a lot about how the money works and how the taxes work and how the structure works. And that interests me. And so Real Estate CPA Podcast is another one of my favorites. I always listen to that first when it's out. Did you ever think like seven years ago that you'd be like into CPA podcasts in your 20s and like that's like your entertainment? 
Uh, no, no, I'm a little no. ashamed of it, but also <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, be proud of it. Keep on doing what you're doing. It sounds like you're you're well on your way. I mean, you uh, you obviously have an amazing story that you uh, you shared with us today. We really do appreciate that, and I know that you're out there looking for your next deal, and and we're going to have you back when you have that next deal. Uh, we didn't even talk about your house hack right now. So, but that'll be for another conversation as well. But, you know, I really appreciate your coming on the podcast today. Uh, Matt, how do people find you if you want to be found? Yeah. Um, so first off, thank you guys a ton for having me on because, you know, it's always great having a platform out there and, and being, you know, getting your name out in front of people. It's going to be a huge thing. So it's awesome what you guys are doing. Really appreciate being a part of it. I'm starting to build up a little bit of social media or trying to get a little more focused on it. So I have uh, Instagram is one of the better ways to reach me. Uh, Matt Davis Real Estate, all one word. Um, you can find me there. Uh, you can also, you know, give me a call, 978-677-8366. Call, text. You know, I love, I love meeting up with new people and whether we arrange to meet at a meetup or you want to grab a coffee, you know, um, always looking to network more. So, Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt, again, for, for appearing on the Real Estate Law Podcast. And, and Rory, thanks again for you being here as well. Rory, where can people find you? Easy to find on any platform, but we're at nexthometitletown.com or urbanvillagelegal.com. Yep. I don't really need to be found, but if people want to find me also, you can just Google Jason Muth, M-U-T-H, uh, or you could email me. If you want to be on this podcast, you can email me directly, jason at nexthometitletown.com, and we'll get you set up with uh, getting on the calendar. So Matt, thank you. This is great. I really appreciate your being here. I wish you the best of success and the most of success, and I can't wait to hear about the next story that you have for us. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. All Thanks, right. Matt. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.